Welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 8B, Ruth's Chats. My name is Alan, and I'm joined as always by Magellan. Hey, what's up? Hello. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. How are you? I'm doing just lovely. I'm doing just lovely. How are you doing? Good. I don't know. How do we make these sound natural? Because the last one, I was like, hello, my son. And you were like, hello, father. And it's like, <laughs> how do we just <laughs> talk to each other? <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Classic. You should Magellan. keep that in. <laughs> you should keep that in. Don't edit that out of the podcast. Oh, uh, no. Truthfully, if people, because the way that we start Skype calls, uh, uh-huh. like before we're on podcast is not conducive uh-huh. to good podcast because it's more like, uh huh probably like 90 seconds of silence before one of us decides <laughs> to stop being an asshole and uh, is like hey <laughs> that's 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 good it's true also it's true oh boy you <laughs> you're, you're too much okay. oh god the majan soundboard is acting up again so sorry let me hit it real well, quick this okay. was great it was listen it was great catching up with you i'll uh <laughs> talk to you <laughs> soon okay Rebooting Majan's soundboard, 1.0 okay, edition. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, no, but sincerely, though, I am doing well. Uh, I had a headache today because it's the first time, the first day in a while that I haven't had any coffee. Good. Um, and I was like, why does my head hurt so much? And then I, it suddenly dawned on me, and I was like, oh. So I'm drinking a lot of water to counter that. I, I have had very little coffee since we've been... Uh, you know, inside. And, um, I had coffee like, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago or last week or something. And then I had a very productive afternoon and I was like, wow, today was great. I wonder what, Oh, <laughs> right. Oh, cheat codes. It was when I drank the magical bean juice mm-hmm. <laughs> the bitter bean juice, the bitter, the bitter, bitter devil's bean. Uh, that's what they call it, man. Um, yeah. no coffee's coffee is fantastic. I've been drinking mine black also because I'm trying to just like, hmm. just minimalist. My diet now is is called minimalist, and I just if I eat bread, what I only you, eat what the else crust. You got there, okay, crust, black coffee, <laughs> one egg raw directly thrown around. <laughs> Slurp. Oh, you could eat a raw egg, especially this is all mixed together in one concoction. Yeah, and then you blend it. Yeah. Ew, bread, black coffee, and an and egg would be. <laughs> Yuck. a special That's hell so no that you could if, especially in other countries where salmonella is not as big of an issue you can totally just eat raw eggs um so rocky did that's it that is what rocky did and look what happened to him he's beefy i think he died <laughs> <laughs> actually no because schwarzenegger, schwarzenegger uh <laughs> what's the guy who's the rocky guy sylvester stallone sylvester stallone's still alive so if they ever make another movie maybe i don't know if he died in the movies i haven't watched the new ones I know that they're focused on Creed now, um, but that's neither here nor Doesn't there. Doesn't he train Creed? Isn't he Creed's trainer? No, someone else trains Creed, I think. Uh, isn't it the son? It's Creed's son. Oh, that's what Creed is about? 
I think so. We should watch. I wonder if we watched a one movie. <laughs> John and Alan watch one movie challenge. <laughs> he can make one accurate reference. Isn't Aliens the one with the thing that comes out of the tummy? yeah uh, time travel no <laughs> um we're gonna be doing a bit of time traveling today on roots chats as we discuss episodes three and four of roots the next generations um so let's get right into it okay the first let's one do it. that we watched was roots the next generations part three uh which has a teleplay by ernest kinoy and it was directed by john ehrman and it aired february 20th 1979 magellan could you tell me what happened in roots the next generations part three please Will and Cynthia Palmer's daughter, Bertha, is off to Lane College, the first in the family to do so. There she meets Simon Haley, a fellow student who's working his way through school. She asks him out to the school picnic more as a joke than anything else, but they soon become close. At the end of the year, she describes him to her parents as a particular dear friend, which worries her father. When Simon gets home, he learns that his father needs him to help him out, uh help him out on the farm and that there's no money for his tuition hmm. his mother has her own ideas <gasps> intent on returning to school he gets a job as a pullman porter where he meets someone who changes his life <gasps> congressman andy warner is off to washington oh. and there's also a new president woodrow wilson Yay. Andy's not pleased with earl crowther uh when earl crowther starts a local chapter of the ku klux klan and they burn a cross without his permission the Klan burns out Mr. Goldstein, the Jewish tailor, uh, burns his business. Simon misses his graduation when he enlists in the army. Pretty busy freaking episode, if you ask me. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to, to dissect and pick apart there. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to start? I think uh, Bertha and Simon is the emotional center of this episode that okay. I found the most engaging. Um, we've got, you know, we talked about uh, historically black colleges in the previous episode, and now we're, we get, we spend a little bit of time at Lane College. Um, there was actually a scene, and I'm going to jump around a little bit here, but like when they're at the dinner, when she first asks him to the dance, where I was like, is this like a, it kind of like has the vibe of a boarding school. Um, mm, but then mm -hmm. like when they're in class, they're learning the quadratic equation. So, I'm like, what is the actual, what is the, what academic level would you map that to today? Because what you learn in college and what you learn in high school is very different than what it was, obviously, in the early 20th century now. Um, but mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting, especially with you as an educator. Not that you're a math teacher, but just like, what are the kids learning? And what is their learning environment like in this like really important time of their life, uh, which is college? Um because I, I, I liked, and I liked that. I liked just the vibe of like, oh, we're in school now and we're learning like where we have uh, writers that we know and can quote really well. You know, the thing that, that kind of enamors uh, Bertha to to Simon early on is that he's a really big fan of W.E.B. Du Bois. Mm -hmm. um, he gives her, or she, I think her mom gives her a book by him actually. And then she's reading his stuff. He's talking about him and the difference between him and Booker T. Washington. And it's like, these are all people who uh, have grown up with like black thought leaders who and like writers mm -hmm. who have like given them ideas to base their lives on that are besides just like uh, yeah. advancement and survival, but also that stuff. And in addition, like education and uh, art and creation of different things. So it's a yeah. really interesting time in American history. Yeah, it's it's um, a moment in African-American history that I think is often overlooked uh 
because you know you people know about slavery they know about the civil rights movement but i don't think people to the same extent know about this the intervening decades where there was uh quite a lot of figuring out that was done of um really i think what we see across both these episodes is the question of like is there any institution uh in which african american people can like procure dignity like and respect from white people like they have an inherent dignity that white people are not recognizing and is there any institution or any sort of like label or accolade that they can achieve um in order for that dignity to be recognized and i think that's a a big part of the second episode we watched this week yes. when we talk about like military service so we'll come back to it but um this first episode really the kind of like bigger contextual thing that it's asking about and thinking about is this ma this matter of education um and sort of like what is the purpose of of getting an education mm -hmm. um and i've always found i've always found the sort of booker t washington w e b du bois dichotomy interesting i think there was another roots chats episode where i talked about them but i can't remember yeah you've at least you've name dropped them for sure um but essentially booker t washington sort of rises to prominence um in like the late 1800s mm -hmm. uh 1870s or 80s somewhere around there i can't remember um and his sort of his philosophy is best represented in this show, I think, by Will Palmer um, as the sort of like, you know, do your work, learn your trade, do it well, um, work within the society the way that it is. And the way that um, Simon Haley expresses it is basically like, this is a very long struggle that African-American people are in. And so, like, agitating for, you know, things like an amendment that says we have the right to vote or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, to someone like Booker T. Washington, it's like, okay, well, look at what happened after Reconstruction. Look at how those civil civil liberties were overturned just as easily as they were established. Those things are kind of impermanent and you can't rely on them. But what you can rely on is, like, I'm Will Palmer and I have a lumber business. Nobody can take that from you. Right. That's the sort of Booker T. Washington idea. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> so his, I think, approach to education is placing value on, on vocational education. Um, and Which is part of what of, leads uh, yeah. Simon to pursue agricultural college as well. Right. Um and it's that's also expressed by like their old math teacher who's like I used to march uphill both ways in the snow or whatever to Maybe, go to I night, think he night says school. that Booker T he used to teach he was taught by him which is like yeah the timeline is interesting there cuz it's like yeah mm -hmm. that was not that's not even a generation ago I know him <laughs> he's a cool dude yeah and um and it you know it's a really not to make too much light of it but it, it it's a really interesting anecdote to think about like just how how difficult it was to get an education and mm -hmm. the the things that one needed to do in order to do that. Um, but yeah, that's the Booker T. Washington ethos. And Simon Haley's like really bought into Booker T. Washington, which I think is interesting. 
because then Bertha gives him the souls of black folk. Uh, yeah. Which Miss Cassie was like, hey, this guy I went to school with published a book. You should check it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just some guy, W.E.B. Du Bois. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. He's That's just, he's like a year below me or something, but the book might be good. Um, but Du Bois hated Booker T. Washington hated really him. like actively they yeah 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 huh um i mean i don't know that he hated him as a person but he despised their ideologies ideology and, and what he represented because to du bois uh the way he saw it is sort of like okay if you're gonna take this booker t washington approach of like keep your head down do your work be polite to the white people you're just doing what they want you to do um and Du Bois was a uh I guess he was a Marxist. He was some kind of leftist. I think he was a Marxist. And so he certainly would have been skeptical of the very kind of capitalist underpinnings of Booker T. Washington's ideology. Because it it's essentially a um rags to riches kind of approach. Uh the sort of like work hard and you're gonna do great. Right. So to Du Bois, it's like, that's bullshit. That is essentially being complacent in white supremacy. Uh, we can't allow for that sort of thing. So Du Bois helps to co-found the NAACP. He's mm -hmm. pushing for like for civil rights, for legal action. And to him, the end or the purpose of education is the creation of what he calls the talented 10th. And they name that they name drop that phrase in one of the episodes. I think Bertha says it to Simon Haley, like you're, you're going to be one of the talented 10th. Mm -hmm. And Du Bois's theory of change is basically like, okay, what we need to do is create a sort of black intelligentsia, essentially um, like really well-educated african-american people who can be the politicians and the professors and the authors and the great minds uh to sort of lead african-american people and um make change from the top and also to him it's like uh maybe i just want to like learn greek <laughs> maybe that's like something i want to do yeah that's myself. satisfying to me and that's also an end unto itself. Like a person who generations prior to you weren't allowed to read. And now you can, you know, be an expert in all the great works of literature or whatever. There's a sort of like victory and pride in that. In my in my brief Googling, by the way, the at least the Wikipedia page for W.E.B. Du Bois does refer to him as a socialist. So gang gang. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that it's it is like you talk about Will Palmer reflecting that. I think there is a scene in the third episode as well, uh, where he's reading the news and they're talking about socialists, and you just see him become the like old dad, ignorant person who's like, why, why do these socialists want to take away all our hard work and what they're gonna, you know, doing doing all of the arguments against socialism, you know, just dropping all of that, and it's like, wow, Will Palmer has like a surprisingly narrow worldview, and in part because. Uh, you know, his fight was not like going out there and educating himself on the outside world. His fight was like starting a business and becoming self-enterprising. So he kind of like built his house and laid in it for a while. Um, yeah, and it worked for him, right? Exactly. He provided for totally. his family and kept them alive. And he did what he was 
what he wanted to do. Yeah, it's it's why I'm so glad that we actually decided to go through and watch Next Generations because um, there was obviously a lot of uh, wonderful African-American writers in the 18th century, I'm sure. But like now that that literacy became more common and like we're now generations past that, there's already this like amazing wealth of African-American literature and social critique coming from these writers that like the characters in the show can, can reference and Simon Haley can straight up say like, I want to base my life on this. Like I want to follow these ideals into my adult life and train and teach my kids this. Yeah. Du Bois is writing histories of reconstruction and he's, he's got a newspaper and yeah. All that and stuff is and, uh, and people are growing up and like advancing in society too. Uh, I mean, before we actually get to the college stuff, technically there's this, this short but kind of, I, I think, satisfying scene, honestly, where, uh, you know, we have cars now. There's a guy driving a car really quickly and yep. he almost runs over uh, Colonel Warner, uh, who's very old now. And Colonel Warner like jumps out of the way and panics and then just like passes out. And seems like he's just going to die. The man is very old. He was old like 15 years ago. And now he's very old. Uh, and a doctor comes up to him and is like, I can help you. And I believe it's Crowther who's like, get away from him because the doctor is, uh, is well, we learn later is mixed race. But he's like, oh, he's a, you know, and we're at blah, blah, all these nasty things. Get away from him. Mm-hmm. Don't touch him. We're going to take him to the white doctor. The guy's like, I know how to treat him. He's having a heart attack or something. If you don't treat him right now, he's not going to make it. And you're like, damn, that's really sad and straightforward and like right down the line. And then they just have to gut you with one little line where he's like, that's the last that that's the closest I've ever been to my grandfather. Plot yeah. twist. That doctor was the grandfather, the grandchild of uh, Colonel Warner. He's Jimmy yeah. Carey's son. Fuck. It, that I don't know. That was one of those moments where it's like, <laughs> it's <okay>. very silly. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, 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 but yeah. like it is, uh, you know, it it's poetic justice in a way yeah it's so clean though it's so like i was just right there (laughs) yeah it's too clean and then his dad is like yeah you missed out and so did he or or he missed out and so did you or something like that yeah and then he he goes off and cries yeah yeah that's fine it's the show has a lot more nuance than scenes like that but every once in a while they just want to be like did you get it (laughs) and that's i think more to connect this episode to the previous one than it is to like teach us something right um, yeah, well, it's also one of many examples across both of these episodes where you see white people uh, really doggedly trying to hold on to uh, racism and um, increasingly there being very obvious evidence to them that like, hey, this pseudoscience that you made yourself believe about how white people were just superior to African-American people during the time of slavery mm-hmm. um it's bullshit. Here's this guy who's a doctor and is black. And so you see uh, racism just becoming like, well, but no, I'm racist, though. That's what I'm doing. Earl Crowther is my least favorite of the characters in this in this section of the story, obviously, because he's a horrible white supremacist piece of shit KKK member. But also, like, his performance is just back to that 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 version of white people that I don't think are that valuable to show us in this series of like the evil white man. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he literally is talking to Andy Warner later being like, but we're going to keep doing KKK rallies, right? Like, we're going to do it. He's like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, no, but like, we're going to do it, right? And it's just like, he's so, mm-hmm. there's no ambiguity ambiguity about it. And yeah. while I absolutely agree, I know for a fact that people did and do exist like that. It's just like, do we need another character like that? Or like when the rest of the story is so subtle and like nuanced as time has evolved? Yeah, you just want to make sure you have uh, uh, both, all, every shade of white supremacist. That's what right? I'm saying. Yeah, because it's and, all there. Yeah. Um, just briefly on the KKK stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is a period of time where the KKK is, an exp- is experiencing a resurgence in membership. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were had their sort of first surge during Reconstruction, and then the white supremacy is firmly established after that. Uh, and then in the tens and the twenties, the KKK reaches, I think it's apex in terms of membership. Uh, Thanks DW Griffith. Yep. Which owes a lot to birth of a nation, Mm -hmm. the 1915 film and the burning of the cross is something that was invented for the film birth of a nation you're kidding that's that's true fact fuck (laughs) come on (laughs) and then the real and then the because it looked cool on film come on and then the real kkk was like that does look cool (sighs) we're gonna do that too (laughs) oh my god man the way they talk about the kkk in this i was so i guess disappointed is the word just the well okay there are things that i like about it like for example when crowther is talking to warner and he's like uh that he doesn't initially mention like it's good because we're getting rid of all the black folks what he mentions is like they're paying us good because they have to give us money for the hoodies <laughs> it's like oh god like the the role of the kkk in terms of like putting money into the local government and stuff mm-hmm. uh and not just like it it's a really fascinating way that like warner thinks about it and talks about it where he's like don't put my name on anything and Crowther's like no 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 we okay we're gonna do it and not tell you but you have to tell me that it's okay which means you're basically putting your name on. He's like, no, don't. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to do it. Like just the weird back and forth between them where he's like, you got, you have to, you have to let us do like a lot of white supremacy and like burn a lot of people and like have free reign. Right. Say yes. And the guy's like, I don't think that's a good, it's fascinating too. Cause that's the platform that Warner won on right many years ago is he's saying right. i'm going to be better than my father by being more openly racist about this the more openly white supremacist and now he's like uh now that i'm in government though like i didn't really want to do that anymore like it just feels like the truth of the matter is that warner as a character does not actually want to commit to any of this stuff he just wanted the power and the money for himself yeah well and the stuff that he like wants to commit to is the sort of like uh systemic voter suppression that isn't going to catch anybody's eye right yes so i think it's maybe more a thing of if the kkk is running around this town and burning crosses and stuff they're like drawing the attention of the nation to what they're doing and to him it's like what why can't we just stick with this this systemic limiting of people's civil rights that's a perfectly Mm -hmm. fine way to do white supremacy (laughs) If we just get rid of all their rights, we don't have to do any burning or anything. And it's like, no, no. It just, it really portrays the KKK as not what I have always understood them to be, which is like, we're going to install ourselves in government and like, 
give ourselves power and also performatively like show off how horrible we are. It's mm-hmm. more like we do this. This is like our way of blowing off steam or something. Yeah. And I think that's a useful way to complicate because I think we have a sort of um, not romantic in a good way, but like romanticized I, yeah. understanding or like cinematic understanding of what the KKK is. <laughs> Sounds like so do they. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and they're a, bun- they're a bunch of, they're, I don't know what the word is. They're terror. They're terrorists. They yeah. are, they're brutes. They're a lot of things. And yeah. uh, uh, there isn't any sort of beauty or subtlety to what they're doing they're just like i hate these people i'm going to burn things and what you start to see in the 10s and the 20s is also a broadening of the groups of people that are terrorized by the kkk because the kkk also is a very openly uh anti-immigrant organization yeah Uh, the guy that we were just talking about also talks about jewish people and catholic people yeah yeah um and that adds an interesting dimension because um, it sort of complicates our understanding of like what it means to be white in the United States in the 1800s. Because um, we have the moment where the Jewish business owner, Mr. Goldstein, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, his business is burned down. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to Will Palmer and Will Palmer's family. Um, and to Will Palmer, it's like, well, you're white. Why would these guys do something to a white person? Um, and Goldstein is like, oh, I've, you know, I've seen the pogroms in in Russia, and uh, these KKK don't have anything on that. So like, they're just these vectors of subjugation, and uh, I don't know. I just I found that really fascinating. Assertion of power, right? Well, because it's it's know. like we always need somebody to be under us. Like in order for this organization to continue flourishing. There has to be somebody who wants power that we we have to reject and and take away from them. Whether it is it yeah. is African Americans, whether it is Jewish people, and like it just really fascinating that he's like, yeah, Catholics, and you're like, wait, yeah, I mean, the Irish were uh, persecuted uh-huh. when they came to the United States. Like it's just they will the sort of imaginary per, per, quote unquote perfect white person will always look for somebody to consider worse um, and different. Tight and different people from all walks of 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 white people will mm-hmm. try and get a piece of that and try and get a slice at different periods of history, uh, which I think is fascinating too. Like, yeah, you know. But um, I also think so. It's important that all of the stuff happening in the hometown here is like, hey, racism is still bubbling. Literally, the whole concept is uh, Will Palmer is saying like they're going to come back to a chain. He like says in episode four like. He's going to come back from the war cha- like to a changed town, a changed America, and he comes back and there's a there's a shootout. <laughs> it's white supremacists trying to shoot black men in the streets. Like this is the changed world that he comes home to. Uh, but then, meanwhile, when they're at college, when they're at Lane College, because it's an all black college, uh, there isn't like there's a different type of of stress, and it's the stress of like class and economic status, um, which I thought was fascinating. Like even because. The whole reason that Bertha, well, so Bertha's getting like this guy in her class and in her, in her, like her group uh, is like flirting with her. And he's this like fancy rich looking guy. And she rejects him. because She's like, I'm not really into that kind of person. Uh, and then they're her friends are teasing her because they say, you know, there's a dance coming up. Who are you going to ask? She says, I'll ask the next guy that comes up to me. 
and then bingo bango simon haley with a with a patched up hole in his pants uh comes up to her to serve her food because he works at the college to pay for college um and she's like hey do you want to go to dance with me and it's obviously this cute moment where it's like oh my god what a coincidence they wouldn't have fallen in love if she wasn't the guy that came up to her but it's you know it ends up being more of him worried about like she doesn't like me because I'm I'm like lower class mm-hmm. and like they're making fun of me for my pants and I don't want her to see me like this and I'm embarrassed. Yeah, I loved how much of a dork he was. He's such an. He was so cute, and she's a, like making fun of him, but and her friends are like, "You're not going to deal with him." She's like, "Maybe I will," and then and she realizes, took that all the way and <laughs> got married to him. Yeah, eventually. well, it's uh, it's just so I don't know. I mean, I'm a sucker for that sort of plot where it's like. Oh, now we're we're alone, and I realize that you're like really deep and brilliant, and uh, it wasn't fair of us to make fun of your ripped pants. And, and now, it's there's it's not yeah. complicated here, right? Like you can you can feel good about it because there's no like underlying weirdness or po- or weird power dynamic there. It's just like, hey, yeah. we're both students here. We both like have our own types of struggles in life and come from families that have worked hard, and we appreciate each other's understanding of literature. Like that, it's that simple. Uh, and yeah, I think it's... it's like the whole time I was like, how does this go bad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what happens? Who dies? What, what, what's going to happen? But it's just a very sweet love that they have. And what's, 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 what's awesome is these are Alex Haley writer of the book roots as parents. So like that must be really nice. I think to write yeah. a like wholesome love story about your parents and then watch it and like help it assist it getting getting on film and you're like oh that's my dad like there are pictures if you google uh simon haley they just had photography at this point you can just see the guy the the actor playing him kind of looks like him like that's not that far back like you we were saying in last episode this is a love story that's like pretty contemporary in the grand scheme of things uh yeah so we can relate to it and like appreciate it like that um but she starts to be enamored with him and his like ability to quote both Du Bois and Washington and all these other writers. Uh, and, you know, I like this like big picnic scene that they all have and uh, they leave on a train and the two of them like share a really cute song there. Uh, and then they like hold hands and you're like, Oh, they're going to fall in love. And, you know, Roots has a lot, so much to do that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have the bandwidth to like focus on two people falling in love for that long. But when you do, it's like, all right, quit. This is, I get it. Like they like each other. This is, a respectful relationship let's just get into it and and like see them their relationship progress past this fast yeah it's like not uh, i don't know i found it interesting because it's once they get together you're sort of like okay cool we're good they're gonna be together they're gonna have alex haley i don't have to worry about them Mm -hmm. because it's it's sort of like the whenever in the sitcom the two side characters get together and you're like cool Marshall and Lily are just going to be married. That's just going to work. Uh, Turk and Carla are never going to break up or whatever. Yeah. Right. It's like fine. Um, And that's kind of the vibe with Simon Haley and Bertha of like, okay, perfect. They can be together. That can be great. We can focus on all this other stuff going on. And then once in a while we can have a nice scene with them where they're like, oh, I missed you so much. Yeah. Don't go away. No, I miss you. 
Um, and then, yeah, and they're like I said, in their own lives, they have their own stress um, because, you know, she says goodbye to him and calls him a dear friend. So her dad is like, wait, I thought you didn't like that guy. A particular dear friend. A particularly dear friend, which like, come on, mm-hmm. we, get, we know. Um, he is experiencing some horrible racism with his dad as they both, uh, I think his father works as a sharecropper still. Um, I think so, yeah. Which at this point in time is like kind of frowned upon as like you're doing... It's, I mean, it's the same way that like manual labor is talked about now where it's like, oh, you do like handwork and you, but it's also like you're doing, you're still doing the work for the white man that I thought we got past. And it's like, yeah, well, some people can't, you know, afford the education to do any other work. So Simon is kind of having this role put on his back of like, we need you to get smart so that this family doesn't have to work on farms anymore. Um that's like the weight put on him. But his father is also like, is it worth it? I'm just like dumping money into my kid's education. I don't have the money for this. Um, this stuff also felt to me very like my parents dealt with this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of like, sure. you have to get educated because we didn't and we don't want to be like in agriculture forever. Yeah. Um, so like Simon decides that he wants to get an, a master's degree in agriculture so that he can teach at an agricultural college, which we see at the end of episode four that he accomplishes. Um, but he was not, he is running out of money. So he has to work, uh, at a train uh, or on a train as a porter, which I guess are just like the people who like now you, I don't know what the role of this, the, what this person's role would be now. Like the attendee, uh, the, bat- yeah, it's sort of like, cause these Pullman, these are, uh, um, that's the word, uh, like sleeper cars. So you get on the train and you you know you have like a spot where you sleep <laughs> yeah um when you're going to your destination and the porters uh check tickets and take care of the people who are on the car and that sort of thing and so it's like part i don't know and it's a job you kind yeah. of live at for a while so he does it in the summer because it's like a 24 7 job basically yeah. um he's working really rough shifts um we're introduced to one of my favorite characters in both these episodes the character of dad jones um yeah who's just fantastic i mean not only because obviously he's pro starting a union and i love to see that but also he's just like he cares about simon's education the way a lot of other people don't and as a young person like seeking to advance your life and your family through education it's really nice to have somebody that who is supportive of you like that and is like i want you to continue doing your stuff um Mm -hmm. this guy's played by aussie davis who uh I unfortunately know from the not so great film Bubba Hotep. It's mm. a very dumb movie, but he's very good in it. Um, I don't know what else I know him from, but I saw him and I was like, "Wait, wait are you is that Aussie Davis?" Shout outs. Yeah, and he says his name is Dad Jones, which I like. And we get a little like picture of what the the Pullman's jobs are like. They they sleep together, they gamble together. Um, you know, we get a couple scenes where the gentlemen gambling are trying to get Simon to spend all of his money. And Dad George is like, don't fuck with him. Like, he let him save his money and go to school. He doesn't have to be ignorant like the rest of us, basically. Hmm. I just really liked this, like, the show in 90-minute chunks has time to, like, slow down and kind of zoom in on a little part of the world that we don't think about usually or that would have been, like, its own show or its own film otherwise. Hmm. Instead, we just Uh get to, like, spend 20 minutes on this train uh, talking about, like, Everybody who works on this train gets called George. We're all George because they don't get they don't learn our names. So if they if they yell for George, you have to go up to them and help them out and be a very nice man or else they won't pay you. Um, 
And so there's this like stress there about all these men trying to make their way. And Simon's realizing that this gig is not going to pay his way through college because uh, it's not a like hourly or salary wage. It's more like if people come on the train, he gets paid once they start. And whether or not they get a lot of people also determines how much he gets. So he might just never make his money back. It sucks. Um, and then, yeah, we basically the like side plot here is just that dad George is like recommending or a red haired gentleman and recommends that he join a union. I don't know what the significance of the guy who turns out to be evil being red haired is, but they <laughs> did. They did like <laughs> notably point out that like, why is your hair red? And he's like, I don't know. Uh, dad George is like, yeah, we're going to don't like take his money. He like pulls out a razor blade, like an absolute badass on the people trying to steal uh, Simon's money. Yeah. Um, and he's again, every time when once, uh, Simon is like, my hours are terrible. He's like, you know, if we had a union, they would be really great. And you know, I think this like anti-union sentiment, especially in the early 20th century, uh, is one of those things that people have like a not talked about in history that much. And B is just kind of still around in a lot of industries. Oh yeah. You know, not necessarily. Well, actually, yeah, necessarily like people, sneaking in union representatives trying to like get people to talk about this stuff and get them in trouble yeah, but I also would say our society is pretty anti-union unfortunately mm-hmm. i um people know some people know who listen to the podcast that i work for the state so i actually work with a lot of people who are union and I, i've been uh you know i've had an ear to like some union meetings and i know like what that stuff sounds like now and within a union, it's awesome. People are really kind and understanding. And it, like, feels out of character as, like, you know, if you work retail or you work salary, you don't, like, get to know the people that are here to support you ever. Because, mm-hmm. you know, who's who's gonna, who's here to support you? Is it HR? Because they're not. Is it your boss? Because they're super not. But for once, like, having a union means that, like, there is a person whose entire job it is, is to make sure you're not being abused. And that's the short long of it. And that you're being helped and that you're you're able to advance. Um, but yeah, it turns out that the red haired guy is, uh, a plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so dad George gets, I think it's laid off or just like, yeah, he gets fired. Cut. Yeah. It's, um, there's some historical context as to why pull, the Pullman corporation would be especially, uh, anti-union. anti-union. Um, there was like a really high profile strike that happened in 1894 called the Pullman strike. Um, Oh. Yeah, where basically what happened is the factory town where they, like, make the the cars, uh, is the town was called Pullman, and the workers lived there. And it was one of those towns in one of those company towns in the Gilded Age where, like, workers were paid in the company currency, the script or whatever it's called. <laughs> yep, yep. And uh, the company needed to save money, so they cut everybody's wages by, like, 25% but they didn't change the prices of anything or people's the cost of people's rent. And oh. so it's like, yeah, well, just go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> you make a quarter as much. And it led to this really uh, huge strike led by Eugene Debs, actually. Oh, there um, you go, Eugene B. Debs. Yeah, but then it, the government came in on the side of the Pullman Corporation, of course, as the government did quite often during the Gilded Age. Hmm. Um, but so it stands to reason that the Pullman corporation is going to be very like on high alert about even an inkling of unionization, uh, because of events like that. Isn't, 
Labor wasn't Labor Day recognized in part because of the Pullman strike. I believe that's true. Yes. Wow. 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 Yeah. Uh, thanks. <laughs> one of my favorite days off of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but yeah, it's really great that like I had texted you before um, we started recording today about how like Roots sometimes feels like it's just hitting all of the bullet points mm-hmm. of like a like African American centric history course, um, and sometimes that like comes off as like it goes in the way of just telling a story of like we don't really actually but we don't learn that much about like simon and bertha other than they love each other and they want to be together we more learn about like the people that they read about the people who the books that they read and the world events that are happening around them yeah and i think that in a way though is part of what's valuable about a mini series is that it can be about the it can be about the the setting as much, if not more, than it is about uh, the characters. Because mm. mm-hmm. you know, when we covered Pride and Prejudice, that show, that series is obviously concerned with the like class and structural dynamics of of like romance and all of that stuff during that period and in that time. Right. So it is as much about and like it's not about the core romance. The book that it's based on is not about the core romance. It's about yeah the the inner workings of like the people. Right. Like um, watching. There is a somewhat of a difference between like a period drama and a mini series, a period miniseries. Because mm-hmm. like Mad Men, obviously there's That's stuff drama. about the '60s, but also that show is very much about like the characters as people and the complexities and nuances of them as people. And you could transpose those characters to different time periods and adjust some things and still tell a pretty similar story exactly but uh that's an interesting point that like the setting is is a really it's like a character it's a really important part of mm-hmm. the story that's being told here right because if you ask me to give you like give you five adjectives about like who is simon haley the character i would kind of struggle like i don't think about the show in that way though you know especially yeah. early on yeah it definitely like, feels like the people are the sort of uh, lens through which we view the setting as opposed to the setting being the lens through which we view the people. And I think that's why I also made the comparison to you to like Forrest Gump, which I have huge problems with and kind of like comes at it from a very different angle. But like, this is a character who's watching history happen in front of them. Mm -hmm. And whereas in Forrest Gump, it's kind of like using that to, to portray like this American who like does all the right things and things go well for him. It's kind of like an, an an inverse version of that where it's like this person's witnessing history and it's all happening in front of them. And like, none of it is in their direction. None of the, the like tide of history never turns in their direction. It has to be pushed towards them over and over and over again. Uh, And it's like not naturally working for in their favor right now. Uh, Even though we're seeing like, you know, this is called well. I think what was the term for this like couple of years here, like the nadir of uh, race relations in America. Mm-hmm. It's like you think you would hope that roots is about like how uh, America as a whole starts turning towards uh, civil equality, but in reality, it's like well, it's actually way, way, way more com- complicated. And in reality, they kind of are doing the same stuff but changing the words on it. Right. Um. But anyways, so it. Simon is given a blessing by a man who I'm really it was really strange to me that this plot line just kind of drops in and if this yeah. happened in real life then that's even more buck wild. I think it is here because it must have happened in real life. Right? Like at this point you can't make this stuff up. This like 
happened in Alex Haley, not in Alex Haley's lifetime, but in his father's lifetime, he uh, is like on the tr- on the train, working on the train one evening. A man asks him to get milk for his wife. He says, the kitchen is closed, but I can heat up milk for you in my in my quarters. And the guy's like, thank you. What's your name? And he says, my name's George. The guy's like, no, what's your name, though? He's <laughs> like, well, I'm Simon Haley. And later that evening, they have a chat. And one of the things I like is like when white people talk to Simon, the or I don't know if I like this, but the way that the, 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 what, what ingratiates them to him is that he knows what he wants to do in life. Mm-hmm. And then he's like motivated uh, and driven. Yeah. You know, both this guy and his commanding officer in the army are both like, wait, you know what you want to do? I just wanted to fuck around until I died. <laughs> I just wanted to like, you know, live my privileged life. Um. And so this guy is really yeah. and, uh, happy with him and says basically like, what are your choices in life? And Simon says like, well, it's either like if I find the money, then I go back to school. And I and if I don't, if I decide that I can't do it and I'm not going to make it, then I'm going to use this money that I have to buy a mule and work on my dad's farm for the rest of my life. Uh, which kind of like becomes this, I don't know, like fantastical scene where he goes back to school because he decides, like, I'm going to try to do school. I saved it up and I'm not going to give up on my dream. The guy before this, though, hands him $5 and is like, you know, thanks. He says, thank you for that. Uh, when he goes back to school, though, somebody paid for all of his tuition. Mm-hmm. And it turns out this guy who worked for a publishing company, I think he works for, like, the people who published the Saturday Evening Post, um, paid for his college, his room and board and everything on the stipulation that he went to get it. Because he was like, if you gave up on your dream and, and instead worked on your dad, your dad's farm, I would have taken the money back. Which is so, like, saccharine. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it's it's really... I'm I'm conflicted about it for a couple reasons. I mean, I think, uh, on the one hand, it's this example of the fact that, at the end of the day, in a system of systemic inequity, allyship... Uh, it's a matter of like dollars and cents, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, like Simon Haley doesn't, he doesn't need respect. <laughs> he doesn't need like people to say nice words to him. I think the that, guy saying, what's your real name is not, that's not allyship at all. <laughs> right. Right. That's just like a basic humanity. Uh, the, the sort of allyship is like, I have money that, you know, is maybe, I have it because of my privilege or whatever. So here, let me give it to you. And you are someone who could put this to good use. So in a way, I think that that's a good thing. But I think the part of it that is troubling me is that you could put this to good use part of it. The like, I'm going to pass judgment on whether you're deserving of my money. Right. Um, And I think it gets at this problem with like with the Du Bois idea of black exceptionalism as a theory of change Mm -hmm. where, um, uh, you know, Du Bois and Simon Haley would say like the fact that Simon Haley is this exceptional, uh, person, you know, reflects back on African-American people. And it's a proof point of like, Hey, white people, uh, you're racist for thinking that African-American people couldn't be this smart or whatever. Um, right. So that's one part of the exceptionalism argument, but the kind of corollary to it is, or white people could think that you are an exception to the prejudiced rule that they have about African-American people, which kind of seems like uh, 
what this guy on the train car thinks and what it's his like you seem like one of the one, a good one yeah like you oh you are special so you deserve to go this to golden school. ticket as opposed to well everybody deserves that opportunity right that's that's the like frustrating thing underlying this nice kind moment and to bring it back to the modern day i mean with social media like how often do you see listener or magellan like in your day-to-day life tweets that are like hey i'm broke i'm a broke trans woman living in in brooklyn can you help me pay rent this is my gofundme to pay rent and because you see so many of them you start playing this really fucked up game where i wish i could give everybody all like my entire paycheck but in reality i have the, i'm doing this like awful awful calculus where yeah, i'm like right is this person worth my my hundred dollars, my two hundred dollars? Yeah, and I hate that it has to work like that. I truly right. do, but at some point you just you have to decide. Like my money goes to someone, right. but this guy is trying to, I guess, is trying to do this and trying to help someone. But like you said, is it seems like it's because he thinks that Simon is one of quote the good ones. Yeah, which is and frustrating. It, and it's a charitable act. Like I, I don't mean to to subtract. I wouldn't from, reject that money from, right. from Simon, right? <laughs> but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fraught in in the sense that uh, I mean, it's fraught in the way that all any instances of individual charity like that are fraught. Where, like you said, you're, you're making value judgments and saying like, okay, well, if it had been a different porter, would he have given that person that much money? And then, if you try to think of it from the sort of like ground level structural issue here, college was and is too expensive, like college education as a barrier to like lower income folks being able to access higher education and higher levels of pl- of pay-, pay in their employment is a problem that America is like still trying to deal with and figure out right now. Uh, whether that, that manifests itself as free college, whether that manifests itself as, uh, you know, reduced pricing on colleges, we don't know. But even in our day today, like I, I myself am someone trying to pay for a master's degree with my own money. Yeah. And I'm thinking about how like making the value judgment of like this place is cheaper than this place. Like, is it worth it for the money? Um, these are problems that still come up today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's super frustrating um, because like we, we had been talking last night, like, do you make all college free for everyone? Uh but like, does the quality of the college still has to like meet a certain level? People have to get paid for their teaching ability. Uh, and also, like, if you are an employer, don't you think that the degree in some way should be representative of the person's skill? Mm-hmm. It's a very, very, very complicated subject. But again, I, I do like applaud Roots for addressing it and talking about it at least a little bit. Yeah. Even though it's very cleanly like, and then he's just done. He's fine. He has all the money he needs to do to college now. <laughs> thanks to uh, this man from Curtis Publishing. That's funny. Uh, so then we get back to the dark times back home. Uh, Mr. Goldstein receives a threatening letter from the KKK. They do. They parade through the town. Uh, everyone's freaking out. Uh, they burn down his store, which is awful. Um, and then, like you said, he goes back to Will Palmer's house. He calls him a mensch, and there's a very brief <laughs> moment where Will's like, "Wait, what the fuck?" And he's like, "No, no, it's a, nu- it's, it means awesome, dude." <laughs> he's like, "Great guy, I'm sorry, you haven't heard that term before." <laughs> um, I think that the guy playing Will Palmer like kind of came into this role expecting to be the dad and not the young man, and that's why his young man acting was so like off. 
the was whole, he was ready yeah, to perform. The whole performance still is. You still odd feel a little off. Me. I, it fits more as the dad, but I still feel like a total. There's a total brick wall around this guy. Yeah. Which I just think that works better as like a stoic dad who's like ignorant about the world. That's where that works a little bit. But yeah, it's very like yeah, he's playing against a bunch of people who are very emotional, and he's just like, yeah, get married if you want. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, so Bertha gets her dress from Mr. Goldstein, who leaves, uh, and then she takes the whole family off to Simon's graduation, which he is not at. She's handed a letter that says that he has joined the U.S. Army in preparation for the First World War, and that she's going to pick up his diploma. Things were so complicated and took so long before technology. <laughs> like, can you... I know this is kind of like a pedestrian thing to think about, but can you imagine... They had to travel hundreds of miles to pick up his diploma. Yeah, you go all the way. And she's, like, kind of cool about it. I mean, she's upset with him when she sees him at the train station, and she's like, hey, what the hell? I brought my family to your graduation, and you weren't there. And he's like... <laughs> Yeah, sorry. They said I had to ship out. I couldn't do anything about it. I'm doing it for patriotism. I love you. Couldn't we'll come send back you a soon. Text. I'm sorry. I'll write you. And then he like doesn't for a while. They do get their last like uh, their kiss goodbye, which is a cute scene where he's with his new platoon, and uh, you know he's like, "Can I?" She's right there. She's literally right there. And they're like, "No, you can't see her." And he's like, "Please." And the guy's like, "All <laughs> okay. right, five minutes, but do it behind a wall." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Kissy, kissy, kissy." Um, we get a hint of what uh, African-Americans are going to be dealing with in the military in this time um, with like the brass calling them a word that I'm not going to say that starts with the letter C uh, mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, they still. Yeah, they're just it's a another different way of like control and exerting power over people yep. is you manipulating their patriotism by being like, yeah, you guys, you guys can fight with us, too. You can die for us as well. Right. Yeah. But that's that's for episode four. And he waves goodbye to her for like the fifth time in this one episode. (laughs) He's like, bye from a train. There's so many scenes of them waving goodbye from trains. Mm -hmm. But I guess that that makes sense for the time. Um, Cool. Well, I thought it was a fun episode. Well, fun is not exactly the right word I would use. I thought it was an engaging episode. Um, But if you're good, Magellan, I think we should take it to a musical break. Yeah. The only thing we didn't mention that I wanted to mention is... Oh, yeah. there's a very charming Will Palmer moment at the beginning where he was talking about how Bertha helped him come up with uh, with his like slogan for his business. And it's like first <laughs> it's like lumber number or something like that. And he's first like, come lumber. And then right after <laughs> come the number. The number. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was cute. <laughs> it's very funny. Yeah. yeah. Will Palmer, unintentionally the funniest character. (laughs) Also, it's a bummer that they at the beginning they were like, "Yeah, by the way, Tom and and uh, Irene Irene are are dead." dead. Sorry, (laughs) it's like, come on, they were great. Yeah, they rush by a lot of stuff sometimes. Where I'm like, "Oh no, I wanted okay." That's okay. I'm not sad. Um, no, I'm a little sad because Tom was awesome. I guess they got a good final moment where they were like, "The family's going to go on." True. 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 But with that, uh, we'll take it to a brief musical break, and we will be back to discuss episode four of Roots, The Next Generations.
Welcome back to Roots Chats. The second episode we watched this week was Roots The Next Generations Part 4. The teleplay was by Sidney A. Glass. It was directed by Charles S. Dubin. It originally aired February 22, 1979. Alan, what happened in Part 4? Well, my John, I'm really glad you asked. In this episode, with eight soldiers hanged for staging a mutiny in the 24th Infantry, Bertha is worried about Simon. Criticizing the army during wartime isn't necessarily a safe practice, however. Will Palmer finds that the local draft board isn't applying the rules fairly to black folks. The army is commanded by white officers only, and black men get little respect. One of Simon's fellow black soldiers, Haywood, is badly beaten by a state trooper, and some in the platoon want to take revenge, but it's Haywood who talks sense into them. They're soon sent overseas, and in France, face the Germans in combat, but failure to provide covering artillery fire leads to death as they attempt to take out a machine gun nest. While in the trenches, Simon learns that his father died on the operating table. He's also wounded in a gas attack and in the hospital meets a Senegalese soldier. They celebrate Armistice Day and make plans for the future. Simon believes that it will be different for black folks at home now that they've fought for their country. That's not to be, however, as whites reassert their authority. Simon and Bertha are married, but Will is not too happy when he learns that the newlyweds will soon be living for Ithaca, New York, where Simon will continue his studies at Cornell University. Oof. So, meteor summaries, but definitely useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, whoever writes the IMDb summaries, shout outs to you because those are really good. Uh, doesn't, I mean, like, gets into all the important stuff, hits all the big scenes, but doesn't cover everything because that's our job. Magellan, what did you think about this episode now that we're focusing more on World War One and how that affects uh, sort of race relations in America? Um, I uh, was less into this one than the first one we watched this week um i think just because it of the like set of historical events that it covered it kind of made brief reference to the things that i find the most interesting and dwelled on things that i don't find as interesting like i don't really care about war personally Mm -hmm. um I guess that sounds kind of crass, but I, as a historian, like seeing depictions of battle and talking about the lives of soldiers and stuff, I'm just not super invested in that. Yeah. Um. So those parts of this episode, I was I was not that interested in. And then, but I do think that the sort of like preamble to them leaving and then the part after the war is over and these African-American soldiers are coming back to American society. And what are the complications inherent in that? Um, Those things I found interesting. And and I think the episode kind of glossed over them a little bit and it might spend more time with them next time, but I'm not so sure about that. The one, the one aspect I liked a lot about the military stuff, um, was not not watching the conflict, not the like long shots in the trenches and all that stuff. Uh, but it was afterwards in the Armistice Day discussions where one of the soldiers is talking about like defect, not defecting, but like staying in France, basically. And, you know, as someone who has cons- often, often considered like packing up and moving to a different country, especially in the last couple of years, it's really fascinating to watch the like american identity start to shape itself around like no you you don't want to leave we have it good here 
come mm-hmm. on, right? Like we got it. And how that conversation like verbatim is still happening today. Yeah. Uh, by people who just refuse to accept that, you know, national identity does not have to be exclusive. You can you can identify it with different countries and be part of different countries. Um, but before we get there, we start on a very, very dark scene that I am impressed again with Roots for showing us. Yeah. Uh, this seems to be the hanging of the soldiers involved in the Houston riots of 1917. Um, do you care? Do you mind giving a little bit of background on that situation? Uh, yeah, I don't know too much about it personally. Um, this, this scene, I was like, wait a minute, this seems like something that I have heard of before. So I did some cursory research before we started recording. Um, but essentially the beginning of the episode, we see a group of, I think like eight or 12, uh, I think it's eight African-American men who are, uh, who are hanged. Uh-huh. by presumably it looks like members of the military and um what you learn later in a discussion among people in, in the palmer household is that they were members of the 24th infantry which at the time was an all-black regiment of the u.s army and uh this this regiment was stationed or they were training or something in houston mm-hmm. and then some of them were attacked by Houston police officers. Uh, and then their fellow soldiers like tried to fight with the police officers and protect their friends. And then that sort of ballooned into this larger conflict. Like a violent um, conflict. Mm-hmm. And then those soldiers who were involved, the black soldiers who were involved in the conflict were punished uh, in some cases with being uh, kicked out and in some cases with death. Right. So immediately we go from Simon Haley being like, it's my sworn civic duty to be a part of this like national, we're defending our national values. And then we cut in this episode to what are those that national values even? Right. And yeah. do they serve you? And that's the conversation happening amongst his soldiers and his friends uh, in the military is like, yeah. we know we're not fighting for people who have our best interests in mind. So why are we fighting ultimately? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see Simon Haley. Uh, what I like about Simon Haley as a character is that he's very, he's very willing to uh, believe in people and believe in the best in the world, you know, mm-hmm. like he's, he, starts by excitedly quoting Booker T. Washington Washington saying like, oh, the different races will be like fingers on the hand would come together in a fist or whatever, which is essentially him saying separate but equal is okay. But anyway. Um, <laughs> yes. But Simon Haley's, you know, saying this stuff like, yeah, this guy's great. He's really saying what I'm thinking. And then he feels the same way about Du Bois. And he even is talking about what Woodrow Wilson is saying um about how the purpose of the war is to make the world safe for democracy um with this with this almost pride of like yeah i I believe that i i believe in democracy and uh the other guys are kind of like what the fuck are you talking about dude i'm here because if i didn't join the army i was going to go to prison (laughs) or like i'm here because uh you know i make some money or I'm here because they drafted me or whatever. And Simon Haley's like, no, but democracy. They're like, no. <laughs> uh, Poor man. 
And so I find that endearing. I, I also was surprised to learn, actually, uh, through Roots, that W.E.B. Du Bois was uh, was a supporter of World War One. Um, really? Yeah, that's what they're saying in the in the episode. A couple times, Simon Haley is like, "Well, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois says like right. we need to set aside the particular concerns of African American people and fight for our country." And um, I was surprised to to hear that because. Um, <clears throat> It really, Du Bois is really buying into this idea that like, uh, like I was saying in the first half, that there are these sort of institutional ways to enshrine your dignity, you know, and mm-hmm. for, for Booker T. Washington, it's like, how do you enshrine your dignity with like a business or with the, you know, the, the sweat of your brow or whatever for Du Bois, it's like, well, with a degree, uh, or with a position as a writer, or, you know, with books that you wrote or your whatever role in society um and also du bois is like or with military service if you go and you fight for the united states and and you wear the uniform that is going to carry with it a certain level of respect and it's going to embolden african-american people and uh lead white people to see that like look we're invested in america and we're not we're not so different you and i um well what i think is fascinating about the the that du bois argument too is like even in this episode there's enough nuance that they show that like some white people do feel like that like because i'm fighting alongside these men yeah i I believe in them and i suddenly like have the scales fall from my eyes a little bit i'm like oh these are like people just like me and they deserve all the respect in the world uh but not everybody's like that right so yeah, I guess I'm sort of hindsight is twenty twentying it right now. Um, yeah, that's the year we're in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, it just feels I don't know because in all other aspects, Du Bois is like a very incisive uh, thinker, and so it's interesting to me that even someone like Du Bois in the in the moment of like we're all gonna go and and fight fight the Germans and fight for democracy that even a voice like Du Bois's is like, hell yeah, here we go. Let's ride. Um, which I think just speaks to the power of that, of that lie and really the power of that lie across American history, you know? Yeah. The sort it, of rallying cry of world war two or the war on terror or whatever, where it's like, we're fighting for good old American values and here we go. Let's do it. Right. That's the way that you get soldiers is you tell them they're doing this not for themselves and not for civil rights, but for their country. And yeah. that it's a higher power, that it's like religion. In some cases, like it's literally a religious justification for war. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, too, that it's it's good that they show like some people are buying into the war back at home that are not participating in it. Like I said earlier, Will Palmer sitting in his, his easy chair reading the Chicago Defender and getting mad at socialists. And he has the line here, they're going to start saying that black folks ain't patri- patriotic which is extremely uh it's, it's extremely relevant today with the whole like uh you know is fighting against either police brutality or fighting against the structural systems of our government not patriotic and like what does that even mean anymore yeah and like how, oh, black lives matter is un-american or exactly whatever. and it's or like, like or like fucking tom cotton don't get me started on this guy but he's like trying to ban the teaching of the 1619 project Uh uh-oh 
in schools because it's he's like it's not America and people hate their country. Fuck off, Don Cotton. Yeah, fuck you, dude. Uh, also, just f Bill Clinton for while we're at it, just for. Oh my god. Yeah, we don't need to get too into it, but at this week, this week in racism, uh, Bill Clinton uh, basically misquoted and and wrongfully talked about Stokely Carmichael as if he knows what he's about at the funeral for John Lewis, um, mentioning that like John Lewis is an example of a peaceful, good protester and Carmichael was not that he almost leaned quote too far towards Carmichael which fuck off Bill Clinton yeah he's talking about about SNCC about the student nonviolent coordinating yes, yeah. committee and he's like oh it's certainly a little too much towards that Stokely Carmichael guy oh I'm scared of him because oh. he sat in a chair with a gun <laughs> <laughs> how <laughs> dare he <laughs> yeah um but that you see that that same anxiety actually represented in this episode um to just to jump I think this is a fine one to jump around yeah because yeah, yeah. it feels pretty uh I don't know what the word is, but there's not a lot of twists and turns in the plot. No, the here. war happens. <laughs> right. It's the war Simon Hill is gonna go to war, he goes to war, and then he comes back from the war. Yes. Um but we see a moment where uh where Andy is talking to Bertha and the Palmers and he's like, Oh, Simon, you're like your your boyfriend or whatever is at the war, huh? You have a picture of him? And she's like, uh, I don't want to show you a picture. And then Will Palmer's like, it's fine. And then she shows Andy the picture and he's like, Well, it's a nice picture. And then he goes to the <laughs> the sort of um required roots meeting of the white races <laughs> where they can go talk about how they're gonna do the racism this time. And they're like, did you see that those black men had guns? Oh, my God. Oh, Given to them by the government? <laughs> yeah. Disgusting. Um, but, it, you know, that becomes a real uh, a real point of anxiety because there, there are a couple. Okay, so the here's part of the backdrop of what's historical backdrop. I was going to ask you because I don't, I don't want to keep pivoting this conversation to like, let's laugh at the shitty white people, but there's, yeah, there's context yeah, yeah. for all this. Stuff. I I just think the way that Roots presents it sometimes is funny. I don't think I that the content of what they're talking about is funny. No, uh, of course. But it just, it feels like they always cut to like the league of evil in their, their <laughs> exactly. cave or something. Meanwhile, in the KKK room, the KKK cave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so the probably the pro the biggest um what's the word for it the biggest demographic change that's happening in this period of time is something called the great migration mm -hmm. where uh on mass african american people are migrating from the south to cities in the north and uh sort of in the west um as the west is developing so like there's a scene where where what's this where simon and uh, bertha are at that party that like jazz party oh, in chicago awesome. yeah and it's like oh these these are city folk and you know we're country folk or whatever um so you can see that that's that's starting to shift um as African-American communities coalesce to a greater extent in, in Northern cities. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that change to take place. One of them is, is tangentially mentioned actually in the first episode, I think 
someone's talking about the bull weevil. I don't remember who says it, but uh, the bull weevil was this insect that like ruined, uh, I don't remember the crop or if it was a bunch of crops or something, but essentially agriculture was hit particularly hard over the stretch of a few years uh-huh. in the early 1900s because of this bull weevil. Um, so it's part of the reason that uh, black people are being driven northward for other opportunities besides agriculture. Part of it is systemic racism and racial terrorism and violence uh, carried out by state governments and by the KKK. Uh Um, Part of it is just that the North isn't continuing to industrialize. And so there's increased uh, opportunity for work work out there. Yeah. And then part of it is uh, that to a certain extent, white men going off to fight in the war leaves increasing uh, vacancies in those same industrial centers. Um, So for a number of reasons, you get this migration northward. And what ends up happening is what's talked about. And I was saying that something was sort of brushed past at the beginning of of Uh this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing that's kind of brushed past is a series of events called the Red Summer, where in 1919, following the return of soldiers from World War I, there's a series of conflicts, I guess you could call them race riots, but that's a weird term. Um, There's a series of race riots across cities in the North um, because of now this new proximity between African-American people and white people um, in these places where there, there weren't substantial black populations before. And one of the, one of the reasons you could posit for why that violence took place in part is because of a shift in attitude of the black soldiers who are coming back from the war um, who are sort of emboldened by military service Um by the fact that like, I just went and liberated like one of the most important cities in the world. I was just in Paris. Right. I like, I just freed them from Germans and then I come home and I get treated horribly. Fuck. No, thank you. Fuck that. Um, and it's this shift. I, I think from, uh, a kind of resistance that was born out of, of slavery where it's like, I'm going to do this sort of resistance. That's like totally behind the back of white people and the the sort of the genius of it is they're never going to realize that I'm fucking with them all the time. Um, and then this is sort of moving to a place of like, you know, you know what? Like, fuck you. I'm, I'm going to write on a sandwich board on my chest. I am a man and march through the street in front of you. I'm going to like, not back down when there's, the potential for violence or whatever. So in a way, this white people in their cave looking at the picture of, of black men with guns is like kind of goofy in the way that it's presented, but also it, it shows a genuine concern for white supremacists of like, okay, these men have been empowered. They've been trained to fight. Uh, they, 
they have this like sense of their own importance and dignity. Yeah. Uh, and so like, that's a problem for white supremacists. What are they going to do about it? Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating regression and it reflects um, like in general, the, the sort of like shifting towards more uh, political, I guess like towards, like I said, more politically left ideologies in different parts of America um mm-hmm. because of moments like this where people are like well the world that i come back to is not the one that i expected so i'm going to actually pick up roots and roots and start somewhere else and like that also comes by in the tension at the very end of this episode when will palmer is like wait like and i genuinely when i was first watching it like didn't understand why he was so anxious about uh about bertha and simon leaving other than like obviously you're sad that your kids are leaving your kid is leaving but it's also this matter of like we keep the we've been keeping the family here as long as we can like we only move when we have to why are we suddenly deciding we're going to where do they decide to go to new york because they're going to cornell Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah that was a kind of new concept both for for all america a lot of americans was that like your kids are going to move far away from you uh and not be able to like support you directly so it's a good point it comes from a lot of different angles that they they discuss here which is again really really fascinating um, one of the things that Will Palmer deals with in this episode, which is pretty brief, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but there's a man named Luke who comes to his house and basically needs his help uh, fighting for him in the courts because uh, he ra- he takes care of his whole family as a farmer and he's trying to not go be drafted because he says like they're dependent on me and there's a law that says that if your family's dependent on you as the only money maker, then you don't have to go to war. Uh, they're not allowing that, and their argument basically very goes from like it's not in the word of the law that we actually have to do this for you because when he's like, well, there's precedent, you know, we go to the court scene and there's Crowther and and uh, everybody else, mm-hmm. and they're all like, well, there's pre-, he's like, there's precedent, somebody else got to do it. And they're like, yeah, well, he had like an affidavit and he had like he, his farm. This is the so fucked up part about this. His farm gave money to the town and was more like economically viable for us. You work for yourself. So your money doesn't help us anyways. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, that's not fair. I'm helping everybody as much as everyone else is. And then instantly Crowther's like, you're lazy. And why would we, why, why are we always letting people avoid the draft for people for like lazy people avoid fighting for their country? It's like, well, there you go. There's no fighting a system that doesn't give you a chance. Whether you're Will Palmer who like, literally has the law in his hand and it's like i'm look i can quote cite the law to you you're like yeah no (laughs) i decided no and then just the the line that to me was like the most offensive was uh will palmer is is like okay he's clearly like a person who provides for a family or whatever the law says and he's trying to argue with them and he's like listen fair is fair and to Will Palmer, you know, he's a person who, uh, in some ways, he's kind of like Tom in that he's like, if I just go by the book and follow the rules... And use their then, law against them or whatever, then it'll right. work out. Yeah. And and it turns out that it doesn't really work that way. And there's this line where one of the guys on the panel says... Was this in the first episode or was this in the second one? The stuff I'm talking about is in the second episode. Oh, okay. Yeah, I found it. Um, 
Yeah, the line was, you're impugning the impartiality of this board. Now <laughs> there will come a day where I will remember that, Will Palmer. Right. And it's like, holy shit. He's talking about impartiality, but he's also talking about, like, I'm going to punish you for going against us. I'm going to hold a grudge against you. I'm going to subjugate you uh, because that is what we're all about. And right. it's, it's not it's not even like listen we are impartial it's like listen we're not impartial but you're not allowed to say that to you can't our say that yeah yeah it's uh it's very sad and it, and it further shows that in this small town and in will palmer's life i mean uh, always whenever they do the general generational shift in roots it's like the young people like go out and try to make something for themselves and the old people have to deal with like the repercussions of how society that stagnates and like doesn't give anybody a chance what that means for them yeah um but meanwhile i mean like uh simon's in the in the military we don't have to hit all of his scenes but i did really like the scene where one of the gentlemen comes back from uh being assaulted actually uh and like trips over and everyone tries to help him and even simon is very quickly ready to be like okay i mean i guess if we're gonna take up arms and like protest i'm willing to help you guys out like he's not a hundred percent strictly a pacifist in this situation he does yeah. argue briefly say like nah, i don't know if this is a good idea but then they're like no seriously like they will not do anything for us um and then right before they go out the guy is like no this happened a year ago in houston every one of us is going to be killed and be hanged why would you do that to yourselves for me that's not this is not a fight worth fighting right now yeah. which is frustrating you know but it it's a self-preservation tactic ultimately like you have yeah. to keep your people alive and i like that mm -hmm. and um they i think it's in the scene too where they're talking about how we're fighting germans one of them says what i got what do i have against the germans anyways it seems to me we're fighting the wrong white men because like they don't know what the germans are up to they don't know what their whole uh political and like uh civil system is like in germany they're just like we're told they're bad guys by our by our mm -hmm. white men which yeah, and there's this line, I can't remember who says it, but there's this offhanded line about, like, make the world safe for democracy. Like, what about make Georgia safe for democracy? Right, right. Yeah. Or what does democracy mean for us? Yeah. Um, which comes back later. Um, actually, we, we can also touch on the party scene very briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, just because I loved hearing the jazz music and seeing all the people dancing. I thought that was, like, a nice moment of, of like, romance for uh, for Bertha and Simon, but also, like, yeah, these there are places where African Americans can like be themselves and be sexual romantic beings and enjoy their own music and enjoy their own alcohol and culture and all this stuff. Like it's just a mm -hmm. a genuine like, you know, going against the notion that Roots is entirely a story about black suffering. There's also a lot of like, you know, watch this joy in these folks. And there this is like not a scene that goes badly, you know. Yeah. They go outside because they want some privacy. The guy who's hosting the party, Doxy, who's in uh Simon's uh platoon i believe um is like hey do you guys want to like party with us and the girl's like i have this big bed they keep talking about her like big <laughs> yeah, six foot I have bed a room upstairs if you want some privacy they're like and no we like, don't simon want come on <laughs> what are you doing it's dude? your last night come on yeah. just hide. and he's Go. like no we're good we'll shiver on the balcony <laughs> sure. they're good christian kids Simon, every once in a while, is like, no, it's okay, I'm temperate. Like, when he, ta <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when he yeah. talks to the Senegalese guy, and he's like, no, no, I'm temperate. And the guy's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> just, just drink my booze. Drink my booze. He's like, okay, I will. You got it. Um, but yeah, we get to 
them in France. And uh, where did we get some? This is very boring to me, honestly. It's just like combat. What happened to home base? Yeah. Why aren't they supporting us? Even though that turns out to be another like racially charged moment. Uh, yeah, the like, one the one thing that I think is worth it's, uh, out of all the t- all the war stuff, you yeah. kind of get these two white characters. Uh, there's the um, I don't know any um, of the names. I don't know their ranks. Here. I don't know their ranks, but there's like the guy who's with. Um, Simon with company. Simon and with the, co- the company and he's like their direct commanding officer. Yeah. Um, and he's sort of like, a... <laughs> he's extremely three seconds from retirement, by the way, when he's like, uh-huh. he's like, wow, I'll, no, I'll look at the birds. Simon, you go do work. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, and he's like, I'm very rich and I'm just going to have dinner for the rest of my life. Good line. He, he like loses an eye or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a good line, but there's him. And then there's the guy above him. Who's like the desk job? I don't know what it is, captain or something. Yeah. Um, and both of them have very different attitudes towards being stationed with an all black regiment. The guy who's like higher up um, sees it as this sort of punishment position, or like, oh, they've stuck me here, and I need to just keep my nose down and do my work and get promoted out of here. Because this is like a dead end, shameful position, and uh, the other guy is like, "Well, these are my men. I need to fight with them and believe in them because I'm literally in the trench next to them, getting shot at." As they have this confrontation where there was no alt- artillery to support them, mm-hmm. and it was a really infuri- infuriating scene because the direct commanding officer guy is like they, the artillery wasn't there we needed that they're always the, he's, he's like they're always late they miss things all the time and then the higher up guy was like well they were going to lose the battle anyway so like don't don't put that on me yeah the fact that black people aren't good at things is basically <laughs> what he says cool. um and it's like jesus christ this guy just has the position to say stuff like that and to enact that on people. He's gonna he's basically ready to wipe out an entire platoon, even though there's one white guy on there. It's yeah, just like, ah, they're not useful. Uh, something that I sort of am drawing from from these two episodes is obviously racism is like is deeply cruel, and uh-huh. we've seen many examples of it. Yeah, uh, obviously it's deeply manipulative. Uh, it's also just really fucking stupid it's just like it's a horribly stupid and inefficient and bad way to structure organizations and societies because demonstrably like the dude who needs a doctor dies because the nearest doctor is black yeah or like the army can't fight its war because it is presuming that certain soldiers are like less invested or less good or less smart than other soldiers yeah it's yeah. just dumb it's and i know that's not like the it's far from the most important argument that you could levy against racism of which there are a million yeah but it's just like so illogical and stupid to be racist <laughs> but like in in this case, right? Because like the racism in the time of slavery, obviously not like I don't know. It's ex- it's extremely profitable for America to have slave labor for for worse and for worse, right? Uh, but in this case, it's like you're just yeah, you're you're get, take putting yourself at a disadvantage for the sake of uh, this like racial superiority and white supremacy that yeah 
it's terrible. Um, I also thought it's fascinating because I think I learned about this tr- this like fact of history from you actually before this episode, which is that the Germans would like fly over American uh, trenches and drop uh, pamphlets when they knew that there were like black soldiers in those those platoons, uh, saying oh, I things didn't know like, that. "Huh?" I didn't know that. You didn't know that before this episode. Mm-mm. I definitely like some history class. I learned that, and I thought it was so fascinating because they get these these pamphlets that are like, "Hey guys." Hey, black soldier reading this. What's up? Hi, it's me, Germany. <laughs> They're very, the way it's read in this scene, it's like, mm-hmm. like it's like an, uh, like they sent a t- tweet over or something that's like, what's up? How you doing? Yeah, I'm Germany. I'm the embodiment of a country. You guys got democracy over there? What's that word mean? Do you know? We have no racism. Come to Germany, jump over the trenches, leave your weapons, leave your platoon. We think you're cool. And as I yeah. understand it, this is historically a thing that did happen. Uh, it's a disinformation I campaign. It. I believe it. Um, I mean, it's not. Or not, it's an it's, information campaign. Yeah, it's, I don't think Jeez. it's disinformation. I was, trying, I was like, well, how do I word this exactly? It's an information yeah. campaign. Um, yeah, that. I mean, that was a tactic of um, Soviet Union propaganda during the Cold War also. Like, I'll, I show my students this one image that says uh, in Russian, on one side it says under communism, and it's like, people of a bunch of different races and they're all happy wearing whatever clothes they want to wear and they're all hanging out and being communist together hell yeah and the other side says under capitalism and it's this like uh this like dark image (laughs) of a black man in chains looking up at the statue of liberty and it's like he's clearly you know being subjugated and oppressed and uh that's that was the soviet union thing too of like come on is come on. that society really better what are you saying right now and well so maybe i actually got that mixed up and you had told me that and i like copy pasted it onto this war but yeah definitely a pretty common tactic and i would have given roots some crap for this if this was the only time we saw like europe and the way that europe like treats uh different people of color but uh later after the war uh so actually before we get there i mean like, i want to talk about the armistice say scene i think that's one of my f- another favorite scene in this episode mm-hmm. but uh the germans gas their camp uh simon puts a mask on himself and then puts one over the commanding officer who was looking through the the, the binoculars and then when they're in the hospital recovering from the gas we get a short but really beautiful like touching scene i think Mm-hmm. Um, where he wakes up next to a man and asks him questions, and the guy is speaking uh, Senegalese to him, and he's like, "Uh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, they don't. I don't." He says, "I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, the folks they didn't carry on the language. Um, but we're both from Africa." And he's like, so blown away that like you're another African, and we're not of the same culture. Like he's experiencing that multiculturalism for the first time. Yeah, which is amazing, right? Because you're like. When we talk in uh, in the very first episode of Roots, how like there were all the different members of different tribes uh, on the first slave ship that we saw, and how they're all like, yeah, we're all from different places, but we're from the same we're from the same continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's seeing that in America in the 20th century as like, oh, this guy lived a different life than I do. I do. He chose to come here, yeah. um, and it's it's happening around the same time that we see some scenes in either the previous episode or this one where. 
uh, someone like kind of brushes aside the Kunta Kinte story and is like, oh, whatever. I don't hear that old story. Yeah, I know like uh, Bertha is like, I hate hearing about the story of the African. I'm sick of it. Right. And we at this point, like we don't remember his name. We don't remember his his foot being cut. We don't remember the word for river. It's like those details are are getting lost. Exactly. Um, at the same time that that Simon Haley is having this really powerful moment of like connection uh, across language and across cultural origin. Yeah. Even the nurse is like, he doesn't even speak French. So none of us understand him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Sen- Senegal was um, colonized by the French. By the right? French. Yes. And so is that what's happening here that they're like drafting people from Senegal into their army to fight this war? At least that's how I understood it. Yeah. I said a minute ago that he chose to come. It's actually likely that he did not. But yes, that's how I understand the history of Senegal. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Yep. Um, the war is quote unquote over, though. And uh, everyone's on the way home. Uh, everyone hopes that America will be different. Uh, and Doxy, who's one of my favorite characters in this episode, this like member of, uh, of Simon's group who like is so excited to drink and to have sex and to go out. And he has no attachment to America anymore. And he says, I'm staying in France. They're not taking me with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, he's okay with that. They're kind of like, that's a little weird. I thought we all wanted to like go back to a better America. And he says, no, fuck that. None of that. And he like has this woman, this French woman, he's like kissing him and she's like congratulating everyone. It's a little silly, but I think it taps into another cultural thought that I've been like having even in my own life, which is like we were saying earlier, people in America, like kind of balking at people that talk about leaving the country because they're like, come on, we can make this place better if we stay here. Why do you want to leave some- to go somewhere else? Um, mm-hmm. like I, when I would jokingly tell people when I came back from France, like, oh, I kind of want to stay. And they're like, oh, they're all, la-. they, I would literally get people saying like, oh, they're all lazy over there. Why would you want to go somewhere where nobody works? And I'm like, oh my God. like, come guys, fuck off. Oh my God. Like we're just, we're in it. Capitalism, uh, digs deep baby. Um, and so the, the higher up officers are not having this. And I think one of them calls, uh, or no, this is later when someone calls him obstreperous. I think Mr. Warner. Yeah, I just was thrilled about that. But uh, they're getting mad and they're like, no, we can't let them leave. We're shipping them back. I think, as I understand it, they're shipping the black soldiers back first to prevent this from happening, in part, to prevent them from staying. Yeah, I think the higher up dude is sort of seeing a bunch of black men celebrating their victory and he's sort of like, okay, they're starting to get ideas about, uh, you know, their place in society. Right. And he's like, okay, it's time to go back to the United States where we strictly enforce uh, racial difference and white supremacy so that you don't start thinking that, uh, you know, you can overthrow those things or something. Right, right. It's giving you ideas. And also you guys having guns for too long is giving you ideas. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's a horrible scene. Fully. Um, uh, I, I was amused by the guy who like loses his eye and he's their direct superior. He's going to, he's going to be a student at the Sorbonne because he like went to Harvard or something. <laughs> balls. And then he's like, I'm he's like, I'm going to study all these people and Balzac. And then the guy's like, rah, 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 and he's like, Balzac. Balzac. Takes a big swig. There's a drink. Cause he's like, you can't, you don't tell me what to do anymore. I'm no longer under your 
under your leadership. Yeah. I am. Um, I want to be honest about something. Please. About how I felt about that character, the guy, the white commanding officer guy who yeah. like becomes friends with Simon Haley. I there's this part of me that like this plot really works on where you see a white person get their first black friend yeah. in life yeah. and realize like, whoa, wow. You guys are so nice. You guys are just like me. Black people are people too. And it like warms my heart in a way that I was really upset about yes. when I was watching this. You because should be. it's like, that's not a thing that I should be wiping the tears from my eyes and applauding like this brave white guy <laughs> made a black friend, you know? I guess it, it's sort of like, hey, we really can get along and that's heartwarming, but it always feels so congratulatory of the white people who are like having this revelation. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is a big problem. But I and I, I, I appreciate you for saying that because it, it also recalls in episode three, the, the man giving uh, Simon all of the money for college where it's like. I know you have to acknowledge as a critic when a show or when a pro when a work is asking it's asking you to feel a certain way. Yeah. And in both of these scenes they're kind of saying like isn't this nice? Isn't this a good moment amongst all this tragedy? And mm -hmm. in both cases uh those acts of kindness are being given on the work and the struggle and the sacrifice of the black characters. Because in the case of Simon on the train, it's like, well, I helped you and I do my job for you and I do really good work. And that's why you respect me. And I go to college mm -hmm. like a good kid. And in the case of this guy, it's like, well, you saved my life and you fought a war that you didn't you knew wasn't a good idea. And you put the gas mask on me and you were nice to me and you listened to me. Um, and like, also, I see you as like an intellectual and I know like you're that. smart and you have plans in life. So I like yeah. that about you. Like right. it kind of feels like Simon Haley is being given all this like acts of kindness because like you were saying, he's worked hard. Yeah, it kind of, I, it's interesting to think about it in comparison to say the characterization of old George. Yeah. Uh, where like old George didn't treat the black people on the plantation well because he like, saw them as exceptional people or something he literally he, did not understand. he treated them well because it's like i it's the human thing to do like i like you guys you're my family um and so those felt like much more substantial moments of of allyship and, and respect when he goes and he's like takes the whip and is whipping the ground next to tom to right. save his life or whatever um as opposed to this guy being like you know what simon you're a pretty smart guy. I like you. <laughs> I like that you know the names for bird types. That's awesome. Yeah. You have you want to go to school? That's great. You have like a job you're gonna get, master's degree, fantastic. Yeah, but it, it just frustrated me the way that like oh, they're playing sad music over this scene and now I'm feeling something and I'm feel like I'm being manipulated. Yeah. And I've I felt like I was being manipulated and yeah. like buying it. Always good to acknowledge, like I said, because that's how you prevent it from working. Uh, now and in the, and in the future, um, but the show then pivots to more tragedy back home. It's just like, hey, did you think everything was okay? Cut to uh, Earl Crowther is talking to Warner, talking about how like all these men are back and a bunch of them are armed, and we're not going to have that. I still want to do these rallies, and I still need your support, Warner. And he says, "This is just awful." He says, "I will only support you with dignity." 
I'm willing to support the KKK, but with dignity. I'm not going to take up arms myself. I'm not going to put on the stupid hood, but I'll help you guys however I can, which is just. Sucks. It's not even sucks. I wish I had better words for it, man. Yeah. Right. Like the way that he's just like, yeah, this still helps me. This is still valuable to my political platform. It's awful. We see a lot of this in, for example, uh, David Duke supporting Donald Trump and Donald Trump not denouncing that and just being like, that's weird. <laughs> yep. yep. I'm not, that's not even, that's not even that different from this scene. That's really not. Like, I'm sure no. they had that, this conversation. Oh, man. Um, but we get to some really, vi- some big violent, I guess, action scenes. Um, a bunch of uh, Simon's, like, platoon are are i don't know where they are here i think they're back at home in his his like town because mm-hmm. crowther comes through and a bunch of the police or i guess like a bunch of uh men come through and start shooting at them and like throwing molotov cocktails and burning down their houses and it's just absolute chaos and violence and usually as we said before they were able to be armed uh this would just be a simple like case of like one-sided lynching end of story awful but they're like, no, we actually can fight back now. We are trained in combat. And it becomes a shootout. And it's like a pretty long shootout scene um, where uh, the guy who was injured previously uh, is like shooting at, at Crowther and they notice that he's out of bullets and just an awful scene. I don't want to describe it too much in detail, but he tries to run at them with the bayonet and it's shot. Um, and then I guess finally, I was really satisfied uh by the moment when doxy ambushes boyd uh from behind and puts his gun down and lifts up his razor and we are he as we learn later killed wood crowther with his razor blade uh so finally some sort of retributive justice here um Mm. but the violence in this town continues to escalate and it's really it's just like there's that and they do the hard cut like the 70s horror movie hard cut of Boyd screaming. He's like, oh, my God. And then like Bertha and Simon being like, oh, my God, I love you. I want to get married. You're like the show is going to give me an aneurysm sometimes <laughs> the way that they're like, oh, we don't have time. We don't have time. We got to go. Uh, they get married. Sergeant Hayward's not here because he died. It's so sad. Um, uh, I believe the older uh, what's his face? The older mayor. Uh, his his wife comes and she's from New York and I love the line just because I know that you're from New York and I, and the like cultural assumption that New York is like a liberal state is when she's like in New York we'd never think of going to an n-word wedding <laughs> like, huh. wait the coastal leader is supposed to be nice wait what <laughs> she's yeah, just yeah. awfully awful racist yeah. uh then yeah basically Will it seemed like he was gonna ask Simon for some money I was a little bit confused here what like Will was asking Simon for. Or was it more just like, please don't take my daughter far away? I think, I don't know. It's such a weird thing because Will in episode three is like upset that they're on the porch talking for so long and that Simon didn't have to jump through hoops with him the way that he did with Tom. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel like he actually cares if Simon does that. It just feels like he's sort of grumpy that he had to. Yeah. Um, and it's this kind of just uh, frustration with like, oh, young people don't care about the sort of decorum of whatever. So I think to him, it was more of a problem of like, you're going to take my daughter somewhere else. People don't do that. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, <laughs> guess that's what you're going to do, though. 
Right, exactly. It, it just doesn't, I don't know. I just can't tell what Will Palmer cares about. I, I, I just chalk this up to being as simple as, like, he doesn't want to see his daughter leave and go far away. But, yeah, yeah. it's it seems like they have this conversation. And then we cut to the end of the episode 14 months later. We're now in November of 1921, the Roaring Twenties. Uh, and Will wakes up in the middle of the night because he's anxious that Simon and Bertha haven't written to him in a couple months. Um, why why would a newly married couple be busy and the first couple <laughs> of years of marriage? Who could say? I don't know. Um, yeah. It's like three in the morning and they knock on the door and they're like, what is that? And it turns out it's Bertha and Simon and they brought a young new baby by, by to, to say hello. It's Alexander Murray Palmer Haley, everyone. That's Yay. the guy who wrote the book. It's we nice. It's, it. it's it must be so weird to be like, yeah, that baby's gonna be me. <laughs> I think you guys cast that baby really good. And like, what's yeah. that baby doing today? How old is that? The baby's probably in his thirties. Such a weird thing. That's funny. Um, and then yeah, be- I, I it always weirds me out a little bit that it has to be the male who does the roots thing, especially when the like legacy of Kuntakite is coming down to women very often. Like Bertha uh-huh. is the one who's down from, uh from that that side of the family but right but it's will will palmer her father who goes and takes him out and uh his wife is like yeah it's a family thing and then he does the roots thing where he holds the baby up to the sky and it's alex haley the guy who wrote the book i guess supposedly kizzy does it for for george, george. But, but we just didn't see we it don't happen. see it yeah that's weird um neither here nor there though I'm really, really legitimate. Well, so, okay, what I know, because I actually caught a little bit of the preview of the next one, yep. is we're not going right into Alex Haley's life. We're going into, like, adult uh, Simon and Bertha. Heck, yeah. Which I'm actually super hyped for, like, into the, tw- the into World War II and stuff. Oh, baby. Um, and then also, yeah, once we get into it, what's the, what does the Alex Haley storyline even look like? Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> it's going to be so <laughs> strange. But cool. Uh, this is actually the time in American history that I'm a little bit more familiar with from my reading. Uh, yeah, we there's in the in the um, preview. It's like I don't care. There aren't enough. I'm gonna change the words here. It's like there aren't enough Jewish people and black people in the whole country to get that guy's wheelchair into the White House. And then Will Palmer's <laughs> like, "You're talking about Mr. Roosevelt." <laughs> <laughs> or sorry, uh, not Will Paul, um Simon Haley's like yeah. in Roosevelt. Roosevelt. <laughs> get so hype, we're guys. Gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get some more of that stuff. Did you want to? Did you want to shout out your favorite president of all time, Woodrow Wilson? By the way, who was president during? Oh, you know, I forgot to address it, but I think that the first episode does a really good job, actually, of introducing us to Woodrow Wilson through the eyes of these really racist southern white guys yes yes and and they're like oh did you hear the president's from new jersey and like one of the last things that um what's his face uh henry fonda's character says it's like he's from virginia <laughs> he's like dying in the back seat and he's like he's from virginia <laughs> Dead. So, and, and so he's the, like oh he's getting black people on his cabinet this guy sucks <laughs> like well no he's not he um or no what or, are you he, what they talk about is that Woodrow Wilson passes a few executive orders to segregate different parts of the federal government. Oh. So he, he like segregates the post office. Um, he's a horrible <laughs> rip roar and racist. He, he, yeah, is very pro segregationist mm. and, um, 
And it's bad, yeah. I mean, hey, man, Donald Trump's our first ever racist president. <laughs> God, Joe Biden, come on, Joe, dude. stop, quit it. Joe, buddy, buddy, buddy. Just stop um, yeah, I've I've given a little... I just find Woodrow Wilson really interesting as a sort of failure story or a case in like a a man who was ostensibly brilliant, but like actually really troubled and problematic and mediocre ultimately. Right. Um, those are just characters that I find interesting. So in that sense, I I'm fascinated by Wilson. And when we did chats on five, I told at some point, the story of his stroke undoing his bid for for re-election. Yeah. But in the context of Roots, all you need to know is that Woodrow Wilson was a was a was real racist. Right. It it all depends on the context and the lens that you view it through. That's the magic of doing different seasons of our show is we can come back to different aspects of history and be like, actually, yeah. Like if we ever did commentary chats on 1917, we could be like, oh my god, World War One was so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not. <laughs> I mean, you chat some 1917, like that movie. It's a good film. For you know, it's taking a, it's its lens is on a different thing. Mm-hmm. On the British, the British side, right? Yeah, they're British. Interesting stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm really, really curious to see what's up with Alex Haley. But before you give me the, what's going to happen, you tell me what's going to happen next time on Roots Chats. Can you read me this uh, this little piece of writing that you wrote um, in my <laughs> notes? Oh no. You thought uh, I was going to let you off the hook, mister. Alan and I have a shared Google Doc where we write notes about the episodes um, when we watch them. And uh, I don't know why. No, you know what it is? I wrote Garbo because I like to start a bullet point just to keep the bullets going. Yeah. yeah so I wrote yeah. the word Garbo, G-A-R-B-O. And then Magellan, when yeah. I was gone. But it's like something we say, like, hey, Garbo. Or, Garbo. Or, I don't really know why, how, right. where it came from, but then so I was for like, garbage. Um, but then I was like, okay, Garbo. So I just wrote the line first name Greta, last name Garbo, and then I was like, what if I just write a little rap based on that word Garbo and that rhyme scheme? So this is my rap. I, I I'm not gonna rap it, but oh, I'll, you don't want me to like put music under it? No, no, no. But I'll 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 read it. Um, it goes like this: just eight lines. First name Greta, last name Garbo. Thought that you were better, but your whole team Garbo. Rap game Feta got that cheddar like Ricardo. Ricky never letter got the hijinks embargo. Gucci slippers leather and my best friend Margo. Robbie shit together like we coming out of Fargo. Got that form letter sorrow. Better off tomorrow. Art school debtor my a better Leonardo. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Honestly, flames. Thank you. Thank you. So that's my wrap. Thank you, John. Do you want to read me what happened, what we're watching next? If week someone wants to produce me a beat, I'll listen. I'll rap over it. But uh, I only rap for the right beat. Uh, but I'm not a rapper. But I'm not a rapper. Um, you want me to read what's happening next time? Please. Okay, we'll do. Okay, next week we are watching the next two episodes of Roots: The Next Generations, parts five and six. First part five. 12-year-old Alex Haley learns his family history from his grandfather, Will Palmer. Oh, Alex. Then, we also saw in this episode um, Alex Haley's paternal grandmother, Queen, who there's a whole different movie 
about her. Oh, yeah. And they're like, wait, Queen? And she's like, yeah, Queen Victoria. And they're like, wait, Victoria? And she's like, yes, Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. me. That's a, he ends up writing Queen in the 90s, like the early 90s. Oh, I didn't and know that they, was her. And then they make a movie out of it, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Then we're watching part six. Alex Haley joins the Coast Guard after leaving college. He meets and marries Nan Branch before being sent to the South Pacific during World War II. Ah, shit, dude. Yeah. They got another one of those? (laughs) They keep making them. They're doing another war. It's wacky. Damn. Well. Did you know Halle Berry is in Alex Haley's Queen? What? Oh, because the 90s, sure. It's a... It's not a movie. It's a three-part, three-part '90s miniseries. Uh. Should we do this too? Oh no! No, no, that's so much. So much roots. I feel like I'm rootsing out. Yeah. Um, but it definitely sounds interesting, and I have it, so maybe I'll yeah. I'll check it out. Uh, cool. Well, that's what we got for this week, folks. We're gonna take it to the plug zone now. This is where we plug our stuff. So please stick around because we have a lot of content that we produce for you. Um, if you would like to comment, send us emails, questions, concerns, the recipes, pictures of your best friend, pictures of your dog, pictures of how you're having fun in quarantine. Our email address is chatspod at gmail.com. And we also have a Twitter, which is at chatspod. All instances of chatspod are C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D. Um, we also have a wonderful community run subreddit over at reddit.com slash r slash chatspod. Uh, where folks are listening back to old chats episodes and it's a wonderful time and you should check it out. Uh, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, however many stars you think we're worth or your podcast platform of choice regardless. Just give us reviews. That's how the algorithm finds us. And finally, uh, we have uh, Patreon, which is where you can support us financially. That's patreon.com slash chatspod. And over there, we have different tiers up to $5 a month. That get you different levels of content like movie commentaries, hangout podcasts, behind the scenes stuff, and pilot chats, a separate show where we pilot different TV shows and determine if they're going to make good chat seasons. It's a lot of fun stuff and all of it can be found over at patreon.com slash chatspot. Before we say goodbye, we like to do this little segment called Chat Sums where John and I recommend things for you to do, watch, experience, enjoy, think about, whatever. Uh, and I want to know, John, what is your chat sim for this week? I have a couple. I have a something that uh, is a re-chat sim, and then I have what? Uh, something that I thought I chat some a while ago, but I never did. So it's sort of a weird, a weird pairing. I'll do the one that I thought I did a while ago, but never did first. Um, I th- I feel like I've brought this game up before. I'm not sure, but I've been pretty frequently lately playing this card game with my roommate charlie uh called yomi and it's uh it's a card game that uh is meant to mimic a a fighting video game Uh so there's a set of decks and they're like standard 52 card decks um with that are sort of built around different characters and the core mechanic is that there's a rock paper scissors relationship between the moves that you can do and you sort of put down a move and flip it over and it's partly about reading your opponent and psyching each other out and doing combos and special powers and stuff. And it's pretty fun. So if you're looking for uh, like kind of 
I think strategy heavy, but like quick two player card game experience. Um, Yomi is a great option for that. So I'd recommend it. The thing that I want to re-chat some because it's relevant to what was covered in this episode of, of Roots the Next Generations is a book called 1919 by Evel Ewing. Um, I'd have to double check to see when I initially chat summed it, but uh, it is essentially um, a book of poetry that what Evel Ewing did is she found this report that was written by uh, the city of Chicago following the riot that was there during the red summer mm -hmm. where they kind of do this like post-mortem. Okay. What happened? Uh, why did it happen? What could we do to prevent something like this from happening again? And then she takes snippets from that report and uses those snippets to inspire poems. Um, and the book is, is, uh, told in three parts. The first section is uh, essentially the like the telling of the Great Migration and why African American people are coming to cities like Chicago in the first place. The second section is uh, poems about the events of that riot and the Red Summer itself, and then the third section is about the sort of long term aftermath and the echoes of of that event across across um american history in the years to follow it came out a year ago because last year was 20 is the 100 year anniversary 2019 of the red summer um but it showed up in this episode so i thought it was a good time to remind people that that's a great thing to check out interesting fun fact uh chats on five episode 46 is when you chat them to 1919 by evil you i just looked at it i also had some fennel fennel for now <laughs> But what's interesting is it shows how far we've come. That was on, it's almost a year ago to the day, July 28th, 2019. Is oh, wow. Out. There you go. So we were, yeah, almost exactly a year later, you found the same chat sim to be valuable. And I love it. I still need to check that out. I'm frustrated to say that I haven't uh, checked it out yet. It's been a whole year, but maybe I'll, this will be the, the motive. I, I lent it to one of my students and then uh, COVID happened. Oh, uh, right. Like, well, I would still like a copy of this book, so I just recently bought a, another copy of it. I might just buy one, yeah. Yeah, I think it's worth owning. Um, cool. Um, well, my chats in this week is more just a podcast that I found really engaging this past week. Um, so Crunchyroll, the sort of like premier anime streaming service right now, and this is not an ad, obviously. Um, they started producing a podcast that's kind of like. Uh, I don't know that many documentary podcasts, to be honest with you, but this podcast is called Anime in America, and it's I think it's going to be weekly. It's going to go for about six episodes, and it's hosted by uh, anime critic Yadoye Travis, who's also a wonderful comedian that I'm a big fan of, um, formerly of Get In The Robot, which is now a defunct YouTube channel that I think I've chatted some before. Um, but Anime in America is a like 30-minute each episode little documentary about the history of anime coming to America because obviously it's been around for much longer, but kind of starting in the late eighties and talking like the first episode is a whole bit about fan subbing and the process of like taking different VHSs and daisy chaining VHSs to record and hard code subtitles onto different anime tapes and then distributing those for free because they didn't want to like illegally sell anime to people. 
it's really really well researched and it's very well produced i think it's like they managed to be funny but also like put the nice music under it and it just flows really well so like as a podcast producer i think it's really great and i'm curious to see what other aspects of that history they cover because you know we we think of anime as like it's something that's always been accessible to everyone since the beginning of time but in reality it's like that's it's history is much more recent and was complicated for a while uh the second episode I'm just going to say talks more than a little bit about uh, Silvio Berlusconi. So <laughs> just like you let you chew on that. And again, that podcast is called anime in America. So cool. that's what we got folks. Thanks both to Magellan for being the rock to my hard place. As always, I couldn't ask for a better co-host in life. Um, and thank you dear listener for listening and hopefully enjoying this episode of roots chats. Peace.